All that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream. The supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. Honesty is the first chapter in the book of wisdom. Everyone has a plan until they get hit. Do not pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. Not all who wander are lost. If you cannot do great things, do small things in a great way. It is not what you look at that matters, it's what you see. The imagination was given to man to compensate him for what he is not. A sense of humor to console him for what he is. All things in moderation, including moderation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. In Him was life, and that life is the light of men. The light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness could not comprehend it. Hi, this is Noel Goodman, and welcome to the Good Man Podcast. <laughs> Yo, what's up, Goody Mob? It is good to be back on episode two of the new and improved Good Man Podcast. We got our customary glass of wine here that I share every episode and today's bottle is my personal favorite. It's a Pinot Noir called Cooper and Thief, which I'll post a picture later on our IG and Facebook if you want to check that out. I I love this bottle, man. It's about as dark and as rich as wines get. You know, it costs around $25 a bottle, which is worth it in this case, uh, though you don't really need to spend all that much money for good wine. Usually you can find a couple of gems for around $10, but Cooper and Thief uh, is definitely worth it. Uh, They like to age their wines in a sort of liquor oak uh, barrel after the initial fermentation and aging. This Pinot was later aged in brandy and some caskets, which really complement the sort of dark smoothness that comes naturally to uh, Pinot Noir. Uh, definitely get this bottle if you like uh, sort of dark and pleasantly bitter uh, black cherry notes on an earthy palate. <laughs> it's really good. Uh, you know, I really can't recommend it enough. You know, it's funny that I was never into like good wine when I was younger. And, you know, like a lot of guys, I felt like having a drink, it was it was beer or, or it was liquor. But but now I don't really drink uh, beer or liquor. I, I, I typically, you know, I, I'll just scoop up a bottle if I want something. I think the change came when I spent the weekend in California where I was stationed in San Diego at a winery. I, I was um, on the anti-submarine warfare base. I was a sonar tech when I was in the Navy. And a group of us were going out as part of this, uh, like a military appreciation package uh, that was given by the recreation center. So I was there. Um, I was in, it was paradise. I mean, it was scenic. It was rustic. The, the vineyards, they were, they were about as beautiful as can be. The, the parks and the dark green mountains, you know, there was grass everywhere. It was just full of great spots to kind of hang out and chill and, and relax with good friends and drink good wine. And there was restaurants and music and theater. I mean, it was, it was real bougie, <laughs> but it was nice. It was just a fun place to be. And the master winemaker or the, the vintner, he explained to us in all this great detail, like how each year the earth produced a different texture for the for and the quality to the to the harvest and there was a, all these factors that went into making the wine rich and dark and red such as you know the amount of sunlight and rain that fell on it that year or the, the proximity of the grapes to the ocean or or to the mountain uh, the amount of sunlight it received even if there was a volcano they sort of changed uh, the acidity and the nuance and the complexity of the of the flavor 
So we picked uh, some of the ripest and, and biggest grapes, and we got to see how they they make their more expensive reserves uh, as a you know opposed to the sort of regular vintage, and how each oak barrel casket gives its wine its own particular flavor. American oak tends to be more sweet, and French oaks, uh, for example, tend to be a little bit spicier. The wine itself is 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 just more discovered than created. You know all the the necessary ingredients for fermentation, the precise amounts of yeast and the complex sugars and the ratios of water and juice, they're all found naturally within the grape. And the skin of the grape, which is almost entirely yeast, it, it was just meant to be. <laughs> you leave it lo- you leave it alone long enough and, and it'll naturally become wine on its own. And if you culture it and you grow it and you nurture it correctly, well, then, then it becomes something truly special. And I think uh, a lot of us have had, you know, like an okay bottle of wine or just a, a cheap bottle of wine, uh, which is mass produced and, and processed as fast as possible. But if you've ever had a chance to enjoy like a truly rich, dark burgundy red wine that, that has aged in quality, uh, a nice barrel for many years and then grown meticulously and, and picked, uh, you know, in the country. I mean, that's just, that's just a real lovely experience. And over your time, your palate matures and you begin to kind of understand what goes into making a, a really sophisticated wine. And once you find one that you, you really enjoy, like, like this Cooper and Thief bottle, here, let me guess it. Mm, you know, it just becomes like this personal experience. It becomes kind of part of your personality. And, and I wanted to celebrate, uh, and sometimes when I just want to have a good time or some unruly time <laughs> with some loved ones, uh, I'll pick up a, a personal favorite and, and maybe maybe later I'll cook a steak and, you know, just enjoy these these simple but but profound pleasures together. And it's worth relishing, you know, these these moments because they're fleeting and they're special. And I was thinking about this over the past week and I was thinking about what I wanted to say during this podcast and I was thinking about family and I was thinking about friends and, and culture and most importantly, I for today's thought, I was thinking about manhood and, and what that means and it, as it crossed my mind. And not too long ago, you know, there was this heavy cultural narrative like, are men toxic? You know, and conversations were seriously being had about this idea of toxic masculinity, traits like aggression and ambition, obsession. You know, there was this concentrated effort not only to sort of soften the forceful nature of the masculine ideal, but to diminish in some respects the popularly perceived savage, you know, and brutal essence of what people thought masculinity was. And the reason I was never too excited about this narrative is because a large part of what what was being labeled toxic masculinity or, or mansplaining or male-centered was just sort of kind of like plain asshole, you know, <laughs> just assholery. <laughs> is that a word? I don't even know. I guess I'll coin it for today. But 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 assholery, <laughs> as I like to call it, is is that. It's just just being a jerk. And and everyone is capable of it, and everyone does it. You know, hurt hurt people and and dominate people and sabotage people. And these aren't necessarily masculine toxicities. You know, these are human toxicities. And the very traits that I love the most about being a man, you know, the characteristics that that helped all of us form civilization from what was once a deadly primitive wild. You know, through the lethality, is that a word, lethality? I think it is, the, 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 the lethalness of, of all of history, you know, how dangerous and bloody. And then eventually, of course, the Enlightenment and through World War One and World War II to, to, 
to now, you know, beautiful Williamsburg, Virginia, or beautiful New York skyline, or, or beautiful San Diego. These advancements, I mean, they were all fought for in sacrifice and in blood, and from everyone, everyone involved, both both the weak who sacrificed and the strong, because I think that's the only way we survived to this point, by hook or by crook or or by book. And the same masculine components that we talk about, ambition and aggression and determination, sovereignty, tenacity, even something like passionate fury, I think they have their place in the virtues of, of human progress. And I think they need to be tethered to self-control and to moderation and to patience. But for thousands of years, the entirety of mankind, we've used that fire within to subdue both the wolf and the winter, you know, the perils of the mountain, the, the menace of the wilderness, the marauder, the criminal. And I find myself frequently having to remind friends in, in conversation that for the past 4,000 years plus, the severity of life is ruthless. It's merciless. I mean, it's unforgiving. And the disparity between the richest kings and, and everything that they had in antiquity and even my humble life now, it's, it's enormous. I live a far better and more luxurious life than Napoleon or Cleopatra or King Solomon. My, my comforts far exceed, I mean, even their wildest imaginations. And the common life of someone like Thomas Jefferson was indeed full of fatigues and hardships and adversities and frustrations. And Thomas Jefferson had slaves, no doubt. But the disparity between the quality of his 18th century life and, and the 18th century life of a common or typical slave, there was far less disparity there than the quality of life saved for modern day slaves who number in the tens of millions. I mean, you do one quick search and there's millions and millions of modern day slaves working in sweatshops and mines and sex trade, agriculture, even technology. And their life, today compared to my life right now is is far more desperate. I mean, I'm just someone who by sheer fortune found themselves born in Miami and not Pakistan. And our lives are as far from the sun to the bottom of the ocean. I mean, they can't even comprehend my lifestyle, much less ever hope to live it. And how do you even process that kind of information? I mean, I see that my shirts are made in Asia. My computer components are mined in, in Africa. I have these rich foods that I buy that are bought at poor prices that are afforded to me by cheap Hispanic labor. And I'm Hispanic. And I know that these people live in fear of being discovered and sent back to these bloodthirsty worlds of, of gangs and cartels in Latin America. So how do we find a measure and, and moderation to that kind of inherent systematic, unavoidable evil that saturates life and bring it into sharper focus? How can a good man navigate and overcome such a world where suffering and existence go hand in hand? I think, I think something that you hear, well, I know you'll hear me talk about a lot is the idea that worldview shapes our predisposition to the choices that we encounter. You know, this, the, the worldview it colors everything and how we see everything from our relationships to, to our opportunities. An optimistic worldview certainly doesn't guarantee good fortune, but 
a pessimistic one diminishes both the prospect and, and the quality of all your prosperity. I think a good man needs to have a good worldview. And in large part, that's the heart of this podcast. I mean, it's everything we do in one way or another. We try to get at how we see the world and reality around us and within us. Are, are we seeing things accurately? Are we blinded by our own biases and prejudices? Are we entirely ruled by our emotions? Or can we have some measure of objective, rational reflection, even on sensitive and important issues? And I'm not going to talk a lot about Christianity in this podcast, but I think it's worth mentioning right now. As you may or may not know, I am a Christian. And what that means is that I believe fundamentally that mankind is created in the image of God and that we reflect that eternity and goodness in our hearts. But we are also fallen, broken, marred by what the Bible calls sin. And that's like a, a spiritual cancer on the human spirit. And that separates us from our potential, our, our true nature, our God. So all of history is oriented towards both remedying that affliction and fulfilling our eternal promise, who we are meant to be, who we will one day become. All of history, for me at least, revolves around the person of Yeshua from Nazareth, Jesus Christ, <laughs> if you will, who I believe is our creator, made flesh, who lived our life, lived our suffering, experienced our pain in its most concentrated real form, and then took that cancer into himself and then died at our hands. And then Christianity starts, right? I mean, why? Because, well, historically, because several hundred important people became utterly convinced that without a shadow of a doubt that he rose miraculously and gloriously from the dead. And they spent the remainder of their lives in, in persecution and prayer until they were eventually murdered and for their proclamations. And five of them, at least, wrote the 27 books of the New Testament, the five of the 12, give or take a, a few books, depending on where you fall on that. Um, I tell you all this because if you take this into your heart, as I do, you can't avoid it. It has this profound impact on the way you see the world. And nobody knows better than me that all the criticisms that are leveled against scripture. I mean, is it inaccurate? Is it unscientific? Is it true? Is it immoral? And one day I'll try my best to go over the the top seven criticisms against scripture. But suffice it to say that if you have a reasonable and confident answer to those questions, which I believe I do, then implanting the gospel into your heart in an honest and respectful way has immense consequences, positive consequences. Not to say that there aren't going to be ethical and moral and principled challenges, I mean, and quandaries. There, there are no shortcuts. There's no free lunch. But they are the sword and the shield of beginning your battle with the, with the strategies of corruption and evil. And when I pray at night or in the morning, 
I meditate on love and the mission and the nobility of my faith. And I'm reminded that people have inherent value and deserve love and respect, despite our often bitter and pernicious selves. I mean, I'm reminded that I have a responsibility to be a man, to be as strong as I can be, as intelligent as I can be, as nice as I can be, as forgiving as I can muster. I am obligated to the higher power of the Holy Spirit, to my wife, to my children, and to my work. I am compelled to submit myself to that authority, but it's in that submission that I find strength, that I find freedom, because nothing else constrains me outside of the love of Christ. Nothing binds me to its ideological chains of of willful ignorance, because my heart is not founded in these worldly constraints, though I am wary of them and I am determined to break them. But this faith keeps me honest, and I look intimately forward to meeting my God face to face one day. But until then, I am imminently aware that the world around us is full of treachery and malfeasance and corruption, and we are constantly being misinformed and misled and manipulated by people who are smarter, have more resources, and are more diligent than we are at achieving their goals. Though I think people would have a difficult time admitting that to ourselves. But you are going to need a sword, and you're going to need a shield. And that undergirds your worldview, which in turn leads to how you feel about the choices that you're about to make right now. I mean, there's this large academic controversy about how much free will we have versus our ability to choose our path in life. And I personally believe that we have a lot more free will than many of us realize. I mean, absolutely, there are influences, there are blueprints, there are roadmaps in the mind that lead us in directions that we may not even be aware, but we are the wayfarer. And we'll talk about free will in another episode, and that'll be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. So so where does all of this leave us? I hope it leaves us with a stone in our shoe, as the saying goes, you know, a seed. And I hope that that seed grows into a prosperous life, which can be described as a life, I believe, full of wisdom and purpose. And and yes, even joy. I think it begins with being honest, not only with ourselves, but with others and with competing worldviews. I mean, as you can imagine, I'm no atheist, but I get it. You know, I understand the arguments. I would never straw man a good secular rationale against the existence of God. But I can't tell you how many times I've run into terrible arguments. I mean, on both on both sides, to be fair, against each other, not only in religion, of course, and spiritual matters, but in politics and culture and, and all the, the controversies that, that occupy our days. Someone said to me that there's no evidence for the validity of the Christian faith. And I'm like, really? No evidence. So, you know, you're going to tell Francis Collins that there's no evidence for God. Who you, who you might not know, but Francis Collins is one of today's most active and, and top scientific minds. How about the preeminent astrophysicist, John Polkinghorne? 
John Lennox, uh, Alistair McGrath, William Lane Craig. I mean, I could go on and on naming world, you know, class, world leading scholars who are who are right now spending their lives considering and gathering historical and scientific and philosophical evidence for a reasonable and powerful Christian faith. But it is a faith at the end of the day. And that's fine. I mean, that's good. That's what it, it was always intended to be, faith. But you're being intellectually dishonest and myopic if you believe that there isn't a rational basis to this profound structure of faith. I mean, that's what it means to be honest. And if you don't like what you're hearing from people, you should still give them the rightful due. You should still give your opponent the rightful due. Because I think it's the things that we tend to research or the tends that, you know, the, we'll talk about the bubble that people tend to put themselves in that trap us in these sort of ideological traps. And I think if you're honest, then you prevent yourself from being caught off guard when, when you are hit with challenges that you weren't expecting. And people will take your measure and your opponents will take your measure. Even if they hate you, they'll respect you. And I think being a good man is looking at the world honestly and making capable and robust decisions that lead to, to health and competence and abundance, and then doing your best to work these things out. It starts with honesty and humility, and it ends hopefully in harmony and truth. You know, throughout the life of this podcast, I'm just going to do my best to learn and to flesh out these ideals little by little, piece by piece, because today is the beginning, I think, of a great chapter in, in human history. I do feel optimistic, although I expect a certain measure of pain. But I think this is a good place to begin with that ideal. I think it's a good stone in your shoe. I think it's a good seed. So I'm going to leave it there, man. <laughs> and we'll just keep working this out together. I hope you guys have a great week. Uh, it's going to be hot again. You know, to be honest, uh, I love the heat. <laughs> My friends think I'm crazy. But if it's hot and I'm like sweating under the sun, I love it. I'm in heaven. <laughs> I don't get it. Maybe I am mad. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I'm half Peruvian. My mother's from Peru. And my dad was uh, born in Cuba. And uh, the Peruvians, you know, they worship the sun. Maybe there's some sort of genetic imprint there. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely there. I, I, I relish it. I mean, there's times I just go out there and I just I love the feel of it on my skin. And uh, hopefully <laughs> there's no negative consequences. I, I definitely put on my sunscreen. Uh, but hey, have some fun this week. Uh, I really appreciate all the feedback I'm getting and the listens and the shares. You guys are the best. I love you. God bless you. I'll see you next week, man. Take care. Peace.